time to talk about Paul, probably the Bible's most controversial figure. Now, more of the New Testament is written by Paul than anybody else. We have lots of letters that are either written by Paul or attributed to Paul. And so it's essential, it's important for us as Christians who seek to understand the Bible to know who Paul was, to take Paul seriously. Now, I've got some disagreements with Paul's theology. I don't think that he's consistent necessarily all the time with what Jesus said. But we have to take it seriously because we have so much material from Paul, and he is the best witness to the early church, what they were struggling with, the issues that were coming up, the problems that they had, and the questions that they needed to solve. And so we need to look at St. Paul. I want to talk today a little bit about Paul's philosophy, his religious background. We don't come to the Bible and to Jesus as a clean slate. All of us have family history. We have traditions. We have the theology of the denomination or tradition into which we were born. If we weren't born into a tradition or denomination, we are still steeped in the traditions and the philosophies of our parents or the people who raised us and who brought us up and taught us right from wrong and what to do and how to be a person in the world. And so Paul doesn't come to Jesus with a clean slate either. We think of Paul, who was Saul, as a Pharisee or as a zealot, the, the worst kind of Pharisee. He is, we're told that he was a persecutor of the new Christian movement, of the Jesus followers, as they were called. But Paul didn't just drop this zealotry, this Pharisaical background when he became a Christian. It's going to inform how he sees and interprets Jesus. And so we need to talk a little bit about that. My Greek and Roman literature professor in college only had us study Greek literature because he said the Romans just copied everything from the Greek, so you'd be reading it twice. <laughs> so we talk about, we don't talk about Rome when we talk about philosophy. We talk about Greco, the Greco-Roman world, because Rome is really a continuation of Greece and what Greece's philosophy and, and theological and mythological traditions were. So that's sort of how it works. Now, there are two major philosophies or ways of viewing the world in the Greco-Roman world. The first is called dialectic Platonism. Now, this comes from the, this comes from the philosopher Plato, who is in the school with Socrates and all those guys. He's one of the biggies. And Platonism, dialectic Platonism, is, is a way of viewing the world as a duality. So there's two sides. That's the dialectic part. So dialectic means opposites or, or two contrasting things. Dialectic Platonism looks at the world as two distinct and competing forces. On one side is the material world. And the material world is all the things that we can see. Our bodies, the trees, staircases, chairs, whatever is material that we can touch and feel and see and smell. And the material world is, in its essence, evil. It's bad, it's corrupted, it's sinful. And so there's a distrust of the material world in Platonism. 
On the other hand is the spiritual world, and that's all the things which are perfect. That's all the things that are of God. And so in dialectic Platonism, there is theoretically a perfect version of everything. There's a perfect cookie. There's a perfect chair. There's a perfect godlike version of you in the spiritual world. And humans find themselves in the middle. We're stuck between the two. We are both in the material world and in the spiritual world. And so when we do evil things, it's because we are giving ourselves over to the material world. And when we do good things, it's because we are listening to the spiritual world or participating in the spiritual realm. And so you can see how there would always be this tension. In the development of Christian theology, this Platonism turns into what's known as Gnosticism. Gnosticism is the idea that our bodies are corrupted and evil, but we are filled on the inside with spiritual things. And so we do things to deny our bodies. So you'll find people beating themselves to punish their bodies, to release the good things. A modern version of this might be the idea of clean living, that if we just eat all the right foods and we drink enough water and we exercise and we live clean, that we're going to free ourselves of the toxins which are inside of us, the toxicity that lives inside of us. If you detox, that's an attempt to rid your body, yourself of your body's impurities. That's basically modern-day Gnosticism. Now, on the other hand, there is a philosophy called Stoicism. And we've heard of people being called Stoics, and we always think of them as like the people who approach every problem as if they are a statue. You know, they're just strong and rock solid, and they don't ever show any emotion or, or worry or anything like that. What Stoicism is, in its essence, is the idea that we recognize that lots of the world, lots of things which happen in our lives, are outside of our control. We can't do anything about them. And so you just let go of them. You don't worry about them. You let them go. In Stoicism, you avoid anything that causes you to have attachment or, um, or concern for somebody else or something else. You don't fall in love, for sure. You don't get in relationships. You don't do any of that kind of stuff because that causes you to have attachments that would cause you to worry about things which are outside of your control. Worrying and anxiety and these attachments are what cause us to live a life of evil because we're given over to our emotions and to our attachments and to the other things, anything else that is other than completely letting go of control of your life. And where Paul finds himself in the midst of all this is in what's called Second Temple Judaism. So in the Bible, we hear the story of the first temple, which is built. And Solomon builds that temple. And that is where the people of Israel worship God. It's the culmination of God's promises in the promised land. So the people have the tabernacle, they're carrying the Ark of the Covenant around. When Solomon builds the temple, this is God saying, I'm fulfilling my promise to you that I promised to you in the Exodus. The first temple gets destroyed during the exile. When all of God's people get taken off into Babylon, it gets destroyed. And so the temple and the Ark of the Covenant disappears. And so the temple falls and it, it's not there anymore. It doesn't exist anymore. When the people come back from exile, they build a second temple. But they don't just build the building. They have to redo their, rethink their theology about God. Because God was supposed to be tied with the temple. And when the temple was destroyed, God obviously couldn't be destroyed. And so this is a problem. And so what we get is Second Temple Judaism, which is the Judaism that we encounter in the New Testament. Paul is a, is a Second Temple Jew. Jesus would have been a Second Temple Jew. Peter, Paul, you know, all the folks, they would have been out of this tradition. And Second Temple Judaism 
is also known as Pharisaic Judaism. And Pharisaical Judaism is to decentralize the role of the temple, the building itself, and emphasize instead the rules, the the outward markers that make you distinguishable as a person of God. And so it's not about necessarily going to the temple to worship, but it's about how you live your daily life. It emphasizes the Mosaic Covenant, that God's real promise is revealed in the Mosaic Law and the Mosaic Covenant, not necessarily in the building of the temple, though the temple is is very important. It's just not the essence of the faith. And so in order to show that you are a faithful Pharisaic Jew, you are going to follow the law. You're going to uphold the law. Fulfilling the law is what makes you right with God. What will turn into rabbinic, this will turn eventually into rabbinical Judaism when the temple is destroyed in 70 AD. Paul was in a stream of this type of, of Second Temple Judaism that had an apocalyptic flair. Now, we think of apocalypses like Revelation or at the end of Daniel when uh, scary things happen. <laughs> but an apocalypse is really just the study of the end of time, of a revelation. It's not even the end of time necessarily. An apocalypse is just a revealing of God's self that's extreme, that, that changes from one to another. This, this stream claimed that because God was no longer sending prophets, that God was waiting to reveal God's self at a time when God would end all of history. That would be a divine interruption in the flow of the world, and God would bring in the second coming, and then the world would be different from then on. This is really important to understand Paul, because what Paul sees is that all of Judaism, all of the history of Israel is important only because it tells you it is a leading up to this inbreaking of the kingdom where God's going to bring about a whole new revelation, a whole new version of the world that's going to become God's second kingdom and the future rule of God. And so history, past, present, the world history, all that stuff is the realm of evil and the realm of sin and the realm of the devil that gets control over the world. And then when the inbreaking comes, all of the evil is going to go away. God's going to reveal the new kingdom that is good and pure and, and present. And so you see how Paul would view Jesus as that inbreaking of the kingdom. This is the moment when God is choosing the divine intervention into the history of the world and is making a new world, a new covenant, a new promise. This is what Paul has been expecting the whole time. The whole time he's been a Pharisee, he's been expecting God to inbreak the kingdom. He was just expecting it in a different way. <laughs> he was just expecting it in a way that that was going to restore the temple and kick all the Romans out of Israel. And so it's not so much that Paul has completely changed his whole view of the world and how everything works. It's that Paul now is understanding this inbreaking differently. The inbreaking is Jesus Christ. The inbreaking is the revelation of God in the resurrection of Jesus. God is now active in history in a way God wasn't before. God was choosing to only communicate with, with the people of Israel before in history. God was always active in history in Paul's, in Paul's theology, but it was only through the people of Israel. Now Paul is saying God has broken that, broken into history and changed all of the future into a world where Jews and Gentiles are both being enveloped into God's future, into God's plans, into God's, into God's kingdom, that this is the radical shift that they had been expecting. 
and was no longer Jew and Greek, slave and free, male and female, as it had always been in history. God was changing the world and how the world was going to function. And so everything Paul writes is from this view, creating a world that reflects God's kingdom, that is just and is righteous, and which invites people to sit at table together. No matter their social position, no matter their own personal history, no matter um, how they understood what philosophy stream they came from, God had changed the world. They needed to leave behind this idea of a duality. The spiritual world and the physical world were separate and different. God claimed all of it and made our lives here on earth important and equally spiritual, equally good. It was no longer separate. And that is the essence of Paul. And so when we read Paul's letters, that can be complicated and difficult and challenging. It's with this understanding of what Paul understands the world to be. And so how does that change how you hear Paul's letters? God bless. God bless.